right. Good morning. So good to see you and be with you today. Uh, my wife, Holly, and I are here, as Trevor mentioned, and Trevor and Allison and the boys. We're very grateful for them, known them for a very long time. And it's a privilege to be here, first time to be in London, Kentucky, and it has been a very warm welcome. We've loved it. So uh, we are in a message series that was kicked off a few weeks ago, just says God can't do anything. And while that may seem or sound unfavorable, the reality is God's greatness is not limited to what he can do, but his greatness is actually expanded in the things that he can't do and that God won't do. Um, and so that's what I want to talk to you about today to continue the message series. And I just want to start with this. This is the title of the message, and here's where we're going. God can't discount. Now, on the count of three, I want you to say discount. One, two, three. My wife loves a good discount, by the way. And the funny thing about discount, I'm like, babe, what do you love discounts for? You know, what's the deal? She's like, well, I love a good BOGO. You know, buy one, get one, for those of you that don't know what that is. And I'm like, that sounds good. The funny thing is about discounts and BOGOs and all of the, oh, I'm going to buy it for cheaper. For her, it just means I'm going to just buy more things. And so there's not much discount when you buy everything in the world and you're still spending more money than you would. But it's a discount, right? We love a discount. Definition of discount is just simply this, a reduction from the regular price. You know, you go shopping for clothes or even food or, you know, you get the coupons or whatever. You're going to buy something at a discounted rate. And that's good when we go to purchase something. But another definition of discount is this, to minimize the importance of, to discount something. Another expanded version of this is to not just minimize it, but to brush aside, to disregard, to pass over, to shrug off, to ignore, to excuse. Another term would be to undervalue. Sometimes we want the discount, right? We go looking for the discount. Other times when we see something at a discounted price, what's the question that some of you may have? Now, some of you may not be cynical people. I'm kind of the person that asks this question that says, hmm, I wonder why it's on discount, right? What's the defect with it? What's wrong with it? Why are they putting this on sale? And I want to know, like, what's going on here? That's a little more of this definition. And so where I want to go today is to help us understand something that God can't do, God won't do, and it's actually in our favor, but it's a challenge for us. And it's this, God can't discount your life. God cannot discount. He can't reduce. God can't shrug off. God can't ignore. God can't and won't excuse your life. God will not overlook you. God will not overpass you. God will not undervalue your life. God cannot discount anything. And specifically what we're talking about today is anyone that he made. It's not a discount for him. There is no passing over. There is no shrugging off. There is no, well, less than, if you will. But there is a great problem, and this is where it hits us personally. God cannot and God will not discount your life. But the problem is you can. You can discount your life. I can discount my life. 
I can look at my life. In fact, I do this to others sometimes, and it's really only a reflection of how I feel about myself. I can ignore my life. I can reduce my life. I can shrug off my life. I can push it aside. I can undervalue my life. God cannot and God will not discount your life. He won't discount my life. But you and I struggle with this whole thing. And that's what I want to talk about today. Why do we struggle with it? Why do we look at ourselves in light of maybe and probably, and this is what we're going to talk about today, someone else's life and go, well, I'm, I'm a discounted version of that. Because if you look over here, they, and, and you know, we're always focused on left and right of beside us we see people all around us versus focusing up and in and seeing who God made us to be God cannot discount and overpass and overlook your life that's a good thing but you can and that's not a good thing and so I want to talk to us about this one life that we have been given because we've all been given one life to live. On the count of three, I just want you to say, just bear with me. Just say one life. One, two, three. One just one life. That's all we have. Just one life to live. And I think in this life, this one life, that God will not and cannot discount, I think we're all looking for something meaningful. We're all looking for purpose in life. We are all looking for something in our life to matter, to count. We want our life to count. There was at least a time when we wanted our life to count. The older we get sometimes, and this is really not funny, but I laugh because the older I get this year, in a couple months, I'll turn 49. I remember when I was younger, that just sounded like the end of the road. You know what I mean? Like, well, it's been a good run, you know. 49, wow. And now I'm just like, that is me, <laughs> And it just passes by. And, and here's the challenging part. This is why I love to surround myself with young people. By the way, a couple weeks ago, I can't remember, I, I, I was kind of checking in the series to, to watch, and you had a bunch of students in here, and, and, and Trevor was talking about, you know, let us tell the students not to become like us old people, right? I love to surround myself because there's so much in front, and there's so much vigor in life and so much passion and excitement about where we're headed. And the challenge with getting older is we just have more behind us sometimes than we do in front of us. And why that gets discouraging is because we have things we didn't expect to happen, happen. And we have places we didn't get to go. And we had things that we wanted to do and we didn't get to do that. And it's so much easier to start to discount our life, to shrug it off and say, well, I guess it didn't matter. We want purpose. We want something that matters in life. In order to have purpose, we need something, though, and what we need is the ability to accomplish what it is that's going to be meaningful and purposeful for us. We've all got to have the ability, and that is a very important word for where we're going to go today, but the problem and challenge with all of it, and it's something I just alluded to a moment ago, and it's this. We compare our lives to the people around us because we look at the abilities that they have and we go, gosh, I had that, then maybe I would actually count. And so we discount our own life and we forget to 
look at what God has given us. I understand this. I, I have my own struggles of, we'll call it insecurities. We all do. When I was in college, I went to uh, a Christian university and I was studying youth ministry and I was in youth ministry for many years. And while I was in college, I thought, all right, what's the best way to prepare for youth ministry and all this? The college that I went to had these teams that would go out on the weekends and do these youth retreats in churches. And they had a couple different teams you could try out for. One team was the singing team. And I was like, I'd like to try that. I mean, I did a little singing, choir, things, you know, I had a carry a tune in a bucket, maybe I could, you know, try it out for the singing team. I didn't make the singing team. I was like, well, that's understandable, you know. Then they also had a skit team, which some of you are like, what is a skit? Uh, a skit was a little small play that you would put on to get some point across, right? <laughs> I just realized people don't know what a skit is, possibly. But I tried out for the skit team. But I'm, I, I mean, I like to talk, you know, I can do this. I didn't make the skit team. There was also, some of you are laughing at me. Thank you for that. And what gets, it gets worse, actually. There is a game team. All you do is just show up and you play like, I don't know, Duck, Duck, Goose, Red Rover, Red Rover. I tried out for the game team. Guess who didn't make the game team? This guy. This is something that still hits me personally. I'm struggling with it as I speak. But it comes to mind when I remember, I remember as a college student, just looking back, and I remember other things even younger than that, and I look back and go, how come they and I didn't, and they're better at, and I'm not a man of much girth and size, and I've always wanted to be taller than I am. And now my daughter, my youngest, who is 19, and she's kind of like, dad, am I done growing? I'm like, well, unfortunately, you are. And she's like, I'm so short compared to everybody else. I'm like, she, she blames me for it. I'm like, well, you can't probably. There's just no height. I look at people taller than I am, and I just wish that I was a little bit taller and a baller. And a, you know, never mind, that's another song. But... <laughs> And some of you know that song. But I, I really always, I really wish I was taller. I've always wished that. I was telling my wife, like, that gets silly. Go college. Okay, you used to struggle with these things when you were young. The other day, I'm driving through. We live in the North Atlanta area. And I'm driving in traffic, which is so fun. And I'm watching people pass me. And I'm trying to get to the airport. And I just, I was, I was struggling with even some insecurities. How many of you know that the older we get, our insecurities don't just disappear? This is why the younger we are that we realize God does not discount and nor should we our life. And we live in that truth and we don't let that thought permeate our hearts and our minds and our lives. It's so important. And I remember driving through traffic and I said something to my wife as an almost 49-year-old, I just said, kind of as these cars are passing me, I just feel like sometimes in life, sometimes in leadership, sometimes in my skill, and, and sometimes even as a husband and, and as a father, other people are passing me, and I'm just not keeping up. Do you ever feel like that about your own life? This is discounting our own life. It's shrugging it off. It's looking at it in an undervalued way. It's like, well, I'm not as good at it. We compare our lives. But here's where I want to talk about today, and this is kind of the main point, and it's this. We do not find purpose. Purpose is not found in what you have because you have something different. You have an ability different. You can call it less or more. It is what it is. But purpose is not found in what you have. 
Purpose is truly found in what you do with what you have. Your life is not counted by what you have. Your life is actually counted by what you do with what has been given to you. We're going to look at a passage of scripture today. In fact, it's a story that Jesus tells, and it was recorded a couple of times. We are very familiar, or if you're in the church world, maybe you're not, you're familiar with some names and terms like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These were friends and followers of Jesus who recorded what we call the Gospels, the first four accounts in what we hold to be the New Testament. This is God's covenant with us. And these individuals, these friends of Jesus, recorded stories They recorded moments, they wrote down things, and then it was compiled into what we call our scriptures, specifically in the New Testament. And one of them today in Matthew's recording, and if you have a Bible you want to turn there or just follow along on the screen, Matthew 25, a story is recorded, and Jesus gives these parables, these teachings, these stories. The point is not the details of the stories. He always wants to tell us a story in order to give us a visual and a picture of something in our own lives. And so in today's story, he's going to go into a story about our account, our one life that we are to live. And I love it because he gives a variety of individuals Because we all can't identify with just one individual. So he kind of spreads it out. And in Matthew, it says this. And you can follow along. We'll have several words up on the screen. It's also like a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities. To one, he gave $5,000. These were just people. And this is just a parable, okay? Don't get too caught up in the details. It's just... The master, the guy, the, 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 the owner of the company or the, or the town, whatever. It doesn't, like, calls the people that are working for him and just saying, hey, I'm going to delegate responsibilities because I'm going away. To one, he gave $5,000. To another, 2000 And to a third, 1000 So somebody got 5000 somebody got 2000 somebody got 1000 depending on their abilities. And then he left. Goes on. Right off, the first servant went to work and doubled his master's investment. The first servant being the one that got the 5,000. The second that had the 2,000 did the same. But the man with the single thousand dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. Then the master comes back after a long absence. It's just the story to help us see ourselves. The master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. The one given the $5,000 showed him how he had doubled his investment. His master commended him. Good work. You did your job well. Now let's be my partner. Another version says, let's celebrate. You did something with what I gave you. The second one, the other servant that had the 2,000, showed how he also had doubled his master's investment. So let's just do some math. One with five went to 10. One with the two went to four, right? You didn't know this was going to be a math class today. And his master commended him as well and said the same thing. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. But... The servant given the 1,000. And by the way, I'm going to read what was recorded 
in this version of what this other servant said. And notice how many more words are being used. Master, I know you have high standards and you hate careless ways and that you demand the best and make no allowance for error. Like he's just patting this thing like, where's he going? I was afraid that I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. Now, on paper, that can make possibly some sense, but it doesn't. Because what we're about to find out is that the master did not give any of them any amount of ability to be buried. He gave them something so that they would do something with what was given to them. So here was the master's reply. He was furious. It's a terrible way to live, he said. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? Well, what would have been the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Take the 1,000, give it to the one who risked the most and get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb, throw him out into utter darkness. Now that's a little harsh, kind of. When I read that, I'm like, ooh, I want to work for that master, right? Remember, it's a story. You might see yourself in that story. I see myself in that story. We probably all see ourselves. doesn't have to specifically be with the five, the two, the one. But let me just tell you why Jesus gave three options. Because not all of us are the same. And we've all been given a different level of abilities and in different categories of abilities. We all live in this world that is also broken. Some of the things that we have and don't have are based on things other people have done to us or for us. Some of the things we have and don't have are based on what we've done with what we've had and what we've buried with what we've had. The point is not today to point fingers at what someone else has done to you that has caused something or even yourself. The reality is this. We have to ask the question, what are we doing with what's been given to us? Because remember, purpose is not found. Satisfaction in life is not found. Meaning in life is not found in what you have. Because we could all just look and count and see satisfaction and purpose and meaning in life is found in what we do with what we have. There's three principles that are really taught here. And this is what I want to kind of lay out for us and then give us a few illustrations and challenge. Number one, ability is what you have. That's just pretty basic, right? You have an ability. You do have an ability. I do not have, I don't even know, I know this is not a word. I do not have height ability. I do not have tall ability. I wish I did. I already told you that. I wish I had certain, like I, in, in, in part of my like business coaching career, I'll meet people and I, I, I watch them how they have different skill levels. And as a pastor for 20 some years, I used to constantly meet with people and get to know people and pastor people. Just the, the, 
the absolute difference in humanity is amazing. And it's a beautiful thing. But when you're struggling with your ability or lack thereof versus somebody else's, it doesn't feel amazing. But your ability is what you have. Now, I'm not trying to go so deep to say, hey, you have what you have. And, you know, my mom, you get what you get and you don't pitch a fit. It's like, okay, I get that. Like, it's not like, oh, you get this and you can't make life any better. It is what it is. No, we can all grow our abilities. But there are just some things that some of us have been given and not been given. That is the common case for all of us. Ability is what you have. The second thing that's important is responsibility is what you do with what you have. This is really the point of the story that Jesus is telling us that I don't want you to focus on the person with the 5,000 or the 2,000 or whether you got the 1,000. What I want you to focus on is the responsibility that comes along with whatever you've been given. This is an important part of life. We need to understand that responsibility is my responsibility. Yes, God gave this to me. Yes, God will always help me. And by the way, I'm not talking, this is where we sometimes get salvation and our life a little confused. What we get in Jesus, we did nothing to get. We did nothing to deserve. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That is the beautiful picture of a relationship with God. This is not based on your actions. Otherwise, we would all be doomed. However, We have one life to live. And don't think that just because God gave us this life that he just will ignore and excuse and will shrug off whatever we do with it. He won't, and that's the point of this message. He can't. He cannot discount your life. He cannot undervalue your life. He cannot not hold your life accountable. And that's the third part. Accountability is what you get based on what you did with your one life. This is the hard part of the message. This is a little bit of the rub. This is a little bit of the tension for us. We don't really love this word accountability, do we? It's like, hey, I just want to do what I want to do. Well, how's that working out for you? Probably not great. Well, you know, I just have one life. Like, we didn't raise our kids that way. We have two girls, 22, 19. They're both in college. And let me just tell you, as when they were little and even today, I have to remind them constantly as they're becoming, they are, these young adulters. By the way, some parenting young adults, this is a whole new level of parenting that we're learning. Like, it's just insane sometimes. But we're, we're, we're walking with them and through them, these different seasons that they're walking in. Guess what? In fact, one of my daughters was telling me the other day, that we kind of had have a little bit of a come to Jesus talk as she's in college. And she's like, well, dad, I don't want to have to, you, you know, you walk this fine line, and this is totally off the cuff here for the message, but as a parent, you walk this fine line of like inappropriate th- threats, you know what I'm saying? But you got to get your point across. And you're like, I don't know, I probably shouldn't say this, but it might be a little severe, but I'm going to go ahead and say it because I need you to go ahead and just realize it's not going to go well with you. Like, sometimes I think it's okay to throw a little bit of a fear factor in there because you're going to try and save their life, right? (laughs) And we kind of threw one of those in there, and she's like, well, I don't want that to happen. I want to stay in, and this was a specific scenario. She's like, I want to stay in this scenario that I'm in because I have more freedom here. And I was like, oh, this is an opportunity because someone said this to me once. 
You want freedom. But with freedom comes what? Responsibility. And with responsibility, which we all have, you cannot ignore it. You cannot excuse it. You cannot shrug it away. You cannot discount it. You have accountability. I was never great in math, but accountability is pretty simple, even if it's complicated. The reality is this. The numbers have to add up. And at one point, at the end of our life, we will have to give an account for the life that we've lived. We all have been given an ability. We all have responsibility in that ability. And we all will be held accountable with what we did with it. That's the story that Jesus is telling us. I want to just talk about a few of the characters that he highlights, helps us understand. Because I think it's important to see ourselves here. You see the guys that were given the 5,000 and that were given the, uh, the 2,000. These two. Let's just focus on them. There's a couple of things that are interesting. We sort of tend to look at the one with five and go, must be nice. You know, don't you love that comment? I mean, I've made it before, although it drives me crazy to hear people say, must be nice. It's like, well, okay. Uh, but it is. <laughs> so good. That's what you should say next. Someone's like, must be nice to be tall. It is. Um, no, whatever you have. These two individuals were both given, this is, this is I kind of have a hero in the story personally. And maybe it's because I kind of see myself as this person and I want to be, be more like this person. Here's my point. It's a little easier to look at the person that was given the 5,000 and go, must be nice. Well, of course, you know, I mean, they're the, you know, they, they, they got the most and then they did the most with it, of course. You know who I really... Uh, I really like in the story is the guy that was given the 2,000. Because he wasn't given the least amount in the spectrum. He wasn't given the most amount. But there's nothing he did different with what he had than what the guy with the five did with what he had. And you know what else is interesting about the story? Is the master, when he came back, literally said the exact same words to both of them. He didn't look at the five guy and go, I knew you were a little bit better than these other guys. <laughs> and I expected a lot out of you. You know what he said? He said, well done. You did something with what I gave you. Let's celebrate. Let's be partners in this thing. You know what he said to the guy with the two who did the exact same thing? And he didn't focus on the amount. He didn't focus on the abilities that he didn't have. He went straight to work and he invested it. And the master said the exact same thing to him. He said, well done. You did, you did good. You did something with what I gave you. Let's celebrate. That is the essence of what it's all about. And that's why I love Jesus telling us this story so that we really could see ourselves. And it's not about five or two or, or one or some other number. He's just helping us see that the spectrum has differences. We all have differences. Three reasons that you and I should not discount our life. One, 
you only have one life to live. I want to talk about the 1,000 guy. Because what was interesting in difference than the three, or excuse me, the five and the two, was that this individual took the 1,000 and absolutely focused on the fact that they didn't have and they weren't sure and that they, as the master said in Jesus' terms and in this paraphrase version that we read, lived cautiously with it and buried it. And I just want to say this. He's the guy in the story you don't want to be like. And he's the individual that was so insecure about what everybody else had or didn't have or what the master was going to do that he was so focused. The interesting thing is he went into this long story about why he did what he did instead of just putting it to work. And isn't that like you and I at times? We'll go into this, and it's usually not with somebody else. It's usually with ourselves. We'll start talking to ourselves about this and that and why we shouldn't, and I don't understand. We reason ourselves out of just simply doing the right thing. And this guy buried it. And the master said, that's a terrible way to live. Why do you live so cautiously? Now, Jesus, some of you are like, I'm just going to go out and live not cautiously. Not the point of the story. (laughs) What he's saying is, I didn't give you something or some things. Five, two, one, doesn't matter. I didn't give you that one life. So that when I return, it's exactly as I gave it to you. I gave it to you to make the most of it, to make it count. Because I have given you the freedom in life with the abilities that you have to be responsible and make the most of it. He didn't give us this one life to just be safe and die. I'm not saying don't be safe in this life. What I'm saying is let us not live our life so cautiously in comparison to everybody else that our goal is to just hand it back to the master when the accountability comes for the one life that we've been given and just say, fine, I was safe and sound. That's not the point of life itself. And that's not purpose. Purpose is found in what we do. And we only have one life to live. We have one shot The reason you don't discount your life, one, is that you only have one life to live. Number two, you are the only one entrusted with this one life. No one else is entrusted with your life. No one else is like you. Number three, you will be, and here it is again, the tough part, but the truthful part. You will be accountable for this one life. I will be accountable for this one life. I can measure myself compared to everybody else, or I can take what God has made me to be and what he has given me. And by the way, sometimes, as I mentioned earlier, as we go through life and seasons of life change, and the more behind us gives more room for disappointment and discouragement and even cynicism towards the the windshield ahead, right? But the reality is this. We must continue to invest our life. At times, we get hurt. Does it mean that we want to just hide 
and bury, like, let's just be honest. Life gets tough. Relationships get tough. Work gets tough. Finances get tough. The world gets tough. People's opinions get tough. Think, like, it, it can be the easiest thing in the world to take the one life that God has given to us, remove myself from everybody else, and just bury it. But that is not actually purposeful, meaningful, nor will it be good in the end when I have to give an account for this one life because God does not discount. He cares. He doesn't reduce your life. He doesn't overlook your life. He doesn't excuse your life. We have one life to live. And we will be accountable for this one life. As we close, I just want to share a few words that Jesus said in another passage that Matthew records as well. This is somewhat of a famous verse, and he just says this in Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. And here's, here's what he's saying. Very similar to this story. I didn't make you and give you one life for you to snuff it out and put it under the bed. Put it under the basket. You are a light. And then he goes on and says this. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. This is so important. As you view your one life, be careful that you don't view your one life with only you in mind. He gave you one life to live and whatever ability he gave you, not just for you, but for those around you. For everyone in the house, whatever your house is, whatever your spheres of influence looks like. And in the same way, so let your good deeds shine out for all to see that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And Jesus is just challenging us and encouraging us in this. I gave you one life to live. I made you a light. I gave you an ability. Let us not hide it. Let us not bury it. Let us not just have a goal to keep it safe but to literally use this one life, to go and do what the guy with the five and the guy with the two did, which is invest it and double it and triple it and whatever. Like, it's not about the number. It's about what do we do with what's been given to us. Trevor mentioned earlier that our family is a part of a community that we didn't necessarily invite our way into, but we're a part of the special needs community. My oldest daughter, who's 22, when she was born, she went into respiratory distress, stopped breathing, caused a gap in her brain. We didn't know how to explain any of this then, but this is the best way I explain it now. And she was diagnosed at an early age with cerebral palsy, higher functioning physically because the damage to her brain was minimal, but mentally and emotionally delayed. And so we have been a part of the special needs community for 22 years now as we've watched her grow. I want to show you a picture of both of my girls. This is Hope, our 22-year-old that I just talked about. And this is Addie. She's 19. This might have been about a year ago. I want to show you a picture of them because, number one, I'm a proud dad. I love my girls. But I want to also show you two individuals as a dad. Now, I am not the master in the story. But as a responsible character in their story, it's been interesting to watch how, and by the way, this is where I know it gets tough. It's like, why did God allow and what happened? You know, that's, that's a tough conversation. I do not have answers for all of that, for sure. 
But you know what, as an observation, as a dad, I wanna tell you, these two have two different sets of abilities. One was not created, quote, equal to the other in some ways. We live in a world where our lives are surrounded. We've started a nonprofit to build residential communities for young adults with intellectual disabilities. It's called Beyond Communities. Hope is now at a college called Shepherd's College that is specifically designed for young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. She's finishing her third year and she will graduate from college this coming June. We're so proud of her. We're so proud of her taking this life that some unintentionally have overlooked, have undervalued. And we are passionate advocates for the special needs community. But I also want to highlight my other daughter. It's easy to go, oh yeah, Hope. And she's, you know, I want to show you this next picture of both of them with a bunch of Hope's friends at her college. And I get emotional with this picture because Addie, our youngest, she's 19, sophomore in college now. She could have looked at her sister's life and compared her in another way and been like, well, I think I'll just, you know, I'll hide out and not be the best, or I'll just, you know, the spectrum is very wide in difference in the world's terms of ability. But do you know what I love? She has embraced this in her life. And she has taken all the abilities that God has given her and has maximized it, not just for her own good, and it always hasn't been this way, but in her later years, she recognizes her sister's differences and her sister's community, and she leverages her abilities and invests them in relationships with this community. And I wanna show you last picture, my girls, and this is my beautiful wife, my mother-in-law, and this is Addie, the one I was telling you about. She, she entered this pageant, became like this, I'm, I'm gonna get the title wrong, but it's like a teenage miss, something or other, and, it's, and she won, and I was just so proud of her. Why are you telling us these stories beside the fact that you're a proud dad of your two girls? I'm telling you this because they're two different individuals, and I've watched them grow, and now they're young adults, and it's easier to see this, and it has been so amazing for me in light of the story that Jesus told. And I'll just say it again. It is not about getting the five. And it is not about getting the two. And it is not about getting the one. It is about what do you do with what God has given you. And this is what I want to challenge you and me with today. Three things you and I can do today with this life God has given you. Thank God for what you do have. Trevor just said it a moment ago. We sang the song about gratitude. Thank him. Stop looking left and right and thank him for what he's given you. Number two, take responsibility with what you have. And number three, use it. Use it. Use it. Invest it. Don't try to hide it and keep it safe and bury it. Use it. For the good of others. And for the glory of God. What's the glory of God? It just means to give him credit. You know what we're doing? We're discounting God when we discount our life. And God can never be discounted. God will never be discounted. This is what I want to end with. Don't discount what God can't discount. Purpose of your life is not found in what you have. It is found in what you do 
with what you have. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you for what you have given to us. We struggle with what you didn't give to us or how that works. We have questions. We don't ignore that. We don't pretend to just always be happy. But today, I pray that you would help us to make a decision to say thank you for what you have given to me. Help me to be responsible with it. I recognize I will be accountable for this one life. May I make it count. And thank you for not being a God that discounts, that undervalues, that ignores. I don't want you to ignore my life and help me not to ignore my life. Help me to make the most of it. For your good, for the good of others, and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.